All right. Welcome to Mystic Grace. Mystic being the place that I'm from, Mystic, Connecticut. I am a mystic. I am not a medium, and I'm not rare. There are a lot of people that do what I do, uh, intuitive, uh, spiritual counseling, and Grace is because that's my middle name. So, welcome to Mystic Grace. And welcome to the ego has a contract out on all of us, meaning easing God out. The reason I say the ego has a contract out on all of us is because I spent 20 years of my life living in Las Vegas, Nevada, with a gambler. He gambled most of the time, and his name was Morris Yucatel. His granddaughter was and is Rachel Yucatel. And when she got um, tangled up <laughs> with um, Tiger Woods, all of a sudden my name came back into the, the limelight a little bit because I spent 20 years of my life with the grandfather, Morris, you could tell. And in the article of the Huffington Post, it talked more about, about Maurice, about Morris, because he had a very colorful life and had a restaurant in Miami and hotels. And he was, you know, pretty well known. So, and known by, known in the gangster world, if you will. Um, I met a few of those people uh, through, the, through the restaurants and, and the hotels and entertainment. There was like a triangle from Las Vegas to Beverly Hills to Miami. And you could find that kind of crowd in one of those three spots. Um, anyway, when uh, Tiger Woods and um, Rachel uh, got together, this was in two, at the, I think this was in 2009. In 2010, the Huffington Post sent out an article, and it was about Rachel wanting to follow in the footsteps of her grandfather. I met Rachel when she was 16, and I met her at the Essex Hotel in New York City where Morris and I lived. We had an apartment on the, on the fifth floor, which is really quite lovely. And uh, I thought she was a very sweet girl. Um, and she had never seen me before. And I've been, I was with Morris for a number of years before we even met, before I even met either one of his grandchildren. He has two. He had two. He's, he's, he's since passed, since 2000. So back to the article here. Huffington Post talked about Morris's background with um, the boys back in the 1950s and 1960s. And I met um, Maurice in... Um, in the early 1970, well, 1978, actually, I was working at the Russian Tea Room. Madonna worked the coat check room, and I worked the money booth. But Madonna wasn't Madonna at the time, and uh, I didn't, I didn't, she wasn't uh, famous at, at the time. She was just working there. So I drove a motorcycle, would park it in Columbus Circle, work at the Russian Tea Room, and then this man would come in, this older man, and start knocking on the on the booth on the glass uh, booth there where I worked, and uh, I didn't, you know, I was a little afraid of him because he was about thirty, well, he's thirty nine years older. Um, but anyway, he he wanted to get to know me, and so I ended up <laughs> getting to know him twenty years. Now, the Huffington Post 
talked about this man and talked about his background, talked about um, the kind of people that, that Morris was, in, was involved with in, like I said, in Miami, Miami Beach, um, Las Vegas, and, and New York, New York City. And the comments on that article, one person said, tried to talk about gangster speak, like a contract is one thing and a hit is something else. And it was like, this is, this is gangster talk or gang, gangster speak. And when he said a contract and a hit are two different things, I thought, yeah, all, all of us, you know, human beings here on this earth plane have a contract out on all of us. And that is the ego, easing God out. And the reason I tell you that is because I, I'm here as, as a, a reverend, Colleen Grace Clabby. When Maurice died, and I was there uh, in Las Vegas when he died in 2000, I went back home to Mystic, Connecticut, where I grew up, and I built a healing center. And I ran that healing center for 11 years. So I took the, the funds and all the experience that I had in the material world, you know, the $10,000 Mackie gowns and the, you know, the, all the property and whatever is left, left over after all of his gambling debts. Uh, and I built this uh, healing center. So I wanted to come back and co come into the public, into the, into the public eye and talk about um, this, th this subject. Uh, knowing the difference between the material world meaning us, we're also material, we're made, this is, we are uh, human beings, so we're made of flesh, so that's part of the material. As you know, it decomposes and, and, and uh, we move on and go on. So the material world, ego world, ego consciousness, and the spiritual world. And I am, know that many of you have heard that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not the other way around. So I saw the power and the, and the, the juice of that material world, that money world, and money certainly was king. Those red carpets were, were you know, put out all the time. And uh, Morris, as much money as he, he gambled away, that was the incentive, of course, for all of that entertainment. The difference is that money is not king. And we've got We've got a pretty good uh, person in charge of our uh, the United States here who really shows up the, uh, a mirror to us to show exactly what this ego consciousness looks like. And, you know, I'm kind of grateful to him for that because we're at, we're, we're at crossroads here. We really, really are. We, we have got to figure, figure this out. We have to understand what kind of power we have as spiritual beings. And I'm not talking about just saying a few prayers or the, or the rosary or whatever. I, I, worked, I worked in my healing center for 11 years working the power of, of the light, working the power of healing. I had people coming into my center that had six months left to live, you know, because the Dana-Farber Center declared that they only had six months left to live from some cancer that you couldn't even pronounce. And through the, my intuitive gifts and the, uh, the connection, you know, to the power of the light, 
listening to the guides. I call them my guides. Everybody has them. Everybody has angelic force around them. I mean, we are a light force ourselves. And you can tap into this field and get answers and, and healing through this field. You're not going to get it sitting at a blackjack table and throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars away. Well, you'll have nothing to show for that. You would have uh, cancer-free, perhaps, to show, you know, if you, if you tapped into this other world. Now, many, many people are doing this, and I, I, thank, I thank God for all of the physicians, the people in the medical field that are starting to turn, you know, more to the alternative healing or incorporating that, because, you know, we are just not physical walking bodies here. We, we are connected to the, to the greatest force uh, where we came from. So I wanted to try this out, and I had to build the center. I bought the house over the phone, and I, and I proceeded to spend all the money left over from the gambling days <laughs> to build this remarkable, wonderful uh, center. And it was fabulous. And I had, a, I had um, you know, my own architects, and they were not of this world. They were um, in the unseen world. I also had the, the Native American spirit with me. Because I had a teepee, I had a chakra teepee, and I had a, a Native American from a Hopi land to come and, and put it up, and it was just, it was fantastic. So I relied on the gifts of my higher self, my, my intuitive uh, self, and I just allowed my physical self to, to stay out of the way, my ego consciousness, and, and follow the direction of, of the guides and build and build this place. So it's time that we all learn these pow the power of the light and how to heal ourselves in the light, how to even change the weather. And you know we can we really can do this. I've done it many, many times. When I would do spiritual retreats at, at my place and I got word that we were supposed to have a nor'easter or it was going to be bad weather, I would say to the guides and the angelic force. I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> we have people coming from, you know, 100-mile radius. I said, we, we can't have that. I said, come on, you have to help me. We have to have good weather for this. And it worked all the time. It never failed, ever. When you have a collective consciousness egging the rest of humanity on for the the hurricane is going to be is going to be you know a category four when it's a one why shouldn't we just keep it at a one or make it or make it disappear I'm, I'm, we have the power to do that and i wanted to prove that and that's why i built the center for 11 years i saw the material world i saw how that world worked and it was so empty and so lonely. How many fur coats can you have? I had 13. How many cars could you have? We had more than 13. <laughs> I mean, you all of the so-called comforts of that world. And where, what did it do? I salvaged some, I salvaged enough to, to build the healing center and reverse and reverse that world and tap into the power of, of the light. 
I think that we do not need to have near-death experiences. God bless them all for that, however, because you can learn a lot from them. But we don't have to become very ill. We don't have to have a near-death experience. We don't have to need to have these catastrophes or, or disasters or illnesses to teach us how to heal. We can learn this now. We need to learn this now. Wouldn't we like to know where we are going from where we came from? I mean, I used to tell uh, the group at the house that came every week, I would say, well, we weren't manufactured in New Jersey someplace. I mean, we had to come from someplace fantastic, something marvelous. And, and that's, that's, so that's why I'm here. And the, the podcast was called Mystic Grace. And also the, the music. Um, when I sat down to broadcast the first one, I, was, I heard a song in my head, a whistling song from a, a, a tune that I couldn't place where it had, it had come from. And so I was asking around, and I whistled the tune in, in, front of, in, in front of everybody in the public library where I was, and they went, oh, that's the tune from uh, uh, the March Over the Bridge of River Kwai. And I thought, okay, this is war. This is war. So if you remember, this film was in 1957, perhaps, in Japanese and British, British soldiers um, in turn. It was a quite the film, and Mitch Miller made the tune famous. And I thought, we are marching to a tune, for a war between the ego, easing God out, and the power of our true selves. And that is what I want to talk about. And I'm going to take it back to the beginning of where, of where I started, which was in Mystic, Connecticut, along with seven other siblings, in a little cottage there on the Mystic River. And then I worked at Mystic Pizza when I was 16. That was my claim to fame. And my passport is said Mystic. And I, when I went to the Bahamas or went to different uh, places, they went, Mystic Pizza. <laughs> I said, yeah, uh-huh. I, wor I worked there when I was 16. And I gained quite a few pounds there. You know, it was, it was called Ted's Pizza at the time. And one, one day, and his name was Ted, and he, he, left, he left me in charge, which he did not want to do. And the first thing I did was go back and slice some more sausage for the, <laughs> to, fill the, to fill the bins up for the, uh, the toppings. And I sliced a little bit of my finger off. <laughs> so when he came back, he said, I knew I shouldn't have left you alone. I went like, oh, my gosh. So that's my little story of uh, Mystic Pizza. It's still there. It's called Mystic Pizza now, anyway. So from there, I went to uh, radio, uh, radio, television, and theater school in Boston, Massachusetts. And then uh, from there, soon after, I went to, to New York City, and I worked at the Russian Tea Room. And that's where I met Morris Yucatel, and I was 24. So my life, <laughs> from... Well, I like to say the Walton family with all the clothes on the line there, uh, freezing in the wintertime. <laughs> Remember there in River Road to, to the big time, right, big time New York City. And I, um, he convinced me to leave my job, 
which I only had for three months, and, uh, and travel with him. Travel where I didn't know. You know, he promised me the world, of course. He's 30 some, 35 years older. But he was a very young spirit trapped in an old body. And I was an old, older spirit in a young body. And I think that's why we got along very, very well. But so we were, I was with him for 20 years. I never did marry him. I didn't want to. I think I knew Morris maybe five years into the relationship when I met uh, a friend that I have been friends with for 30 years. Morris had one son. And that one son lived in Anchorage, Alaska. And he had a girlfriend, and her name was Judy Blake. And we became the best of friends, thank God, because no one except someone living in that family would be able to understand, you know, all of the, the angst and the experiences that, that I was going through. Because father and son, they were very, you know, they were very much like one another, and although um, Bobby, the son, was in a different kind of um, experiences, he addictions, let's say, and Morris was the gambler, and Bob, Bobby could never understand that. We, we, Judy and I met in Seattle on our, our plane ride up to Anchorage to see to see Bobby, and we have never stopped talking. <laughs> we have. Our relationship has been uh, one of saving grace, and and I, she's with me here today, <laughs> and she did not want to talk, but I, I wanted to at least just to say hello, and um, and talk, uh, maybe say just a little bit about her experience, maybe in in the center or just meeting me. You know, she has saved my life a couple of times, and. Only a person of that knew where I came from and knew what I was dealing with would would know would understand that, and then encouraging uh, both of us. You know, we've turned our lives. You know, we turned them fairly fairly quickly after the relationships. Um, Bobby died when he was forty four, I think, right, Judy? Yeah, forty four um, from from cocaine over overdose. And in those days, I mean, it was like candy up here in Anchorage. I you know, I read a little bit about it, but, you know, it was like, it was no big deal, right, just to have some, do some cocaine and maybe part of the pipeline thing. I, I, I don't know, but he, he, Bobby thought of himself as in, invincible. And, and he, and so he, and he was extremely charismatic and he wanted to bring the Alaskan State Fair, right? Was it, was the, uh, he wanted to have a World's Fair up here. A, oh, a World's, a World's Fair. Fair, a World's Fair. And um, celebration. Okay, celebration for uh, or, yeah, did celebrate Alaska, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. He all he also brought um, vision cable. He 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 brought the first visions. Mm-hmm. Yes, visions here. Mm-hmm. So you know we we're here us two <laughs> us two women who have come through a tremendous life experience with with this family, and uh, I I. I want to talk about it to, to talk about that any, anyone, anyone at all can go through anything. I don't care if it's stage four cancer, an illness, a horrible um, relationship, um, depression, 
you know, you it, you can be be healed. And and I w- wanted to talk about uh, the difference of our lives. You know, the, living in the material world, which we still do, and living with with spirituality. So. So Bobby was extremely charismatic. Yeah, he didn't see his father that often, but but when it, I was grateful that to know Judy at the time, so the the four of us could be together and maybe hang out a little bit. But but Bobby thought of himself as invincible, and of course, <laughs> uh, cocaine is mm-hmm. is going to get the best of you and the better of you. And yeah, he changed. He did. He changed. Yeah, he was psychotic. And it, was, it was hard to be around. Oh, um, but yeah. yeah, and you know, I I got involved with uh, I I got involved with gambling with Morris as well, and you know, Dom Perignon champagne there at the <laughs> blackjack table, and of course, being Irish, uh, <laughs> I already had some of that uh, those uh, genes going for me. Um, but uh, but yeah, well, and then once I got away from Bob, and and certainly. During, during the time with my in our relationship, I started thinking there's got to be more than this. So I started to feel like there's a God coming down and it's spiritual. There's something spiritual. And so when I sat next to you on the airplane, where uh, Morris gave up his first class seat so that I could sit next to you, and we just talked the whole time, it was like I knew I was in the right place. This was the right place to be, to learn about our experiences in the, the material world and through the... Um, the angelic world, as you say, and uh, we kind of figured that out together. You did. She, Colleen, did a lot better than I did. Oh no! <laughs> In terms of it, she went into it. Uh, she jumped into the, the pool, the deep end, and so uh, we are connected. It's such a big heart, and she's my lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I jumped as a kid. I wanted to become a nun. Oh, come, come on, now. you can't grow up in an Irish Catholic family. Eight kids and not one of them want to go for the for the nunnery or priesthood, but there were six girls, so I was the. Uh, uh, so I I always felt about uh, the power of the light in the beginning, and I think all human beings do, and I think all human beings want that, and we want more of that. So Morris and I were on our way up to Anchorage, Alaska, um, to help try to get Bobby off the the drugs, which we didn't know anything about. Um, we had other things to <laughs> worry about, but that was not in our repertoire at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Judy had separated herself out from him and that, that life, and he was living in Seattle. And uh, Morris and I got off the plane in Seattle because he was afraid to keep on going to Alaska. So we just got off the plane. <laughs> we, he was looking through a magazine and uh, he saw this um, jewelry store, and he, he knew the, the jewelers or whatever. And I said, oh, that's pretty. He goes, oh, you want that? I'll go get that for you. And that was downtown Seattle. Any excuse to get off the plane and not continue that, <laughs> that ride. So I went, oh, for heaven's sakes. Okay, fine. So, so we, got off the, we got off the plane. We stayed in a hotel for a week. Well, something made him call me. Bob, uh, he called Bobby he and called, said, we, we got off the plane. We jumped off the plane, and Bobby goes, oh, well, why don't you call my, I have a ex-girlfriend down there. Uh, why don't you call her? And he convinced me. I said, I can't come up there. I've got work. And, and he convinced me, and I Yes, Morris wanted to yeah. dr- drag her along with us because. <laughs> well, and I loved him. I loved him. His spirit, everything about him. It was hard to leave him because he was just so beautiful. But he was going downhill. You mean Bobby? Bobby. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, but I still cared. 
So yeah. he wanted to do an intervention, and so he wanted me to come along. Oh, Morris did. Yeah, yeah intervention, right. Now, we're talking what year? We were trying to think of what year this was uh, that this happened, because Bobby died in 1990, right? No, I don't no. Remember. I don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, so so <laughs> so there we are, Morris and I in, in um, Seattle, and, and he calls his son, and he goes, well, we're in Seattle, and... Um, We'll catch another plane in a few days and and see you up there in in Anchorage and 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 Bobby says, well, why don't you call my my friend, my ex, my ex girlfriend there? She's a really good gal, whatever. And and Morris said, okay, good, more more power. <laughs> Morris was really afraid. He was. He was afraid for what he was going to encounter when he got there. Yes. He was dragging his feet, and I can I, I can feel his yes. fear. Yes. And his sadness. That's right, yeah. Judy. Mm-hmm. I I forgot that and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was petrified. Mm-hmm. That was a good word, better yeah. word. Yeah, <laughs> petrified, and he thought, and, "Oh, I'll, I'll I, yeah, you know. he'll get, get somebody else on the on the team, someone that knows him, yeah. someone that yeah. was been with him, someone mm-hmm. who knows about that drug scene or whatever." Mm-hmm. And, you know, Morris was going to take anyone and everyone that he could find mm-hmm. to to go up there. Mm-hmm. He was that's right that he was that afraid. So, oh my God, when I met uh, Judy <laughs> at the airport. She was going to come with us, and I went, thank God. And so Morris, like Judy said, gave up his seat. He went in the back, and we sat across from one another in the aisle. And how long was the flight? Four hours or four minutes? Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at a mirror image of myself. She doesn't look anything like me. She's thin, beautiful blonde. I am not that thin and of darker hair, but anyway, gray hair. <laughs> no. And I, um, I said, oh, my God, I'm talking to myself. All the experiences, some, a lot of them, or the, the characteristics um, that they, they shared, Morris and Son, they, were, they themselves were afraid of nothing because they thought they could Yeah, they can convince. survive anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and convince anybody to mm-hmm. do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people would say to Morris, you could convince the Pope that he was Jewish, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he just had that. He had that charisma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here were these two gals. Of course, she got the son. I got the father. I mean, you know, I don't know what that'll tell you. But <laughs> like I said, old soul, okay? Old soul in a, in a, young, in a young body. And we have just been um, supporting one another ever since. Well, and the best part is that you are uh, angelic and you've got this gift, this amazing gift that you've nurtured and worked at and asked for yeah and that's that's what came out of this it it did and that's what this is about is what you're going to what you can do to help other people that's right mm-hmm. by sharing my story which i have been reluctant to do for a few years now i did not want to go back to las vegas i did not want to go back to the money i did not want to go back to the compromising or all or selling my soul out for all of that because I was very, very unhappy, and I could not convince Morris to do cool, wonderful other things with all of that money, you know, that he had. But I would not, I would not marry him I, either. I just, I felt like if I didn't marry him, I would escape. <laughs> and so, but I, I never, never really did until the last two years. And then I said, I, then when my mother um, got uh, cancer, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I knew without a doubt that if I did not leave that man, 
I would get cancer myself. I just knew it. So it took me a little while, but I was able to, to, to finally, finally let go of him. And, you know, those were those, those threats that the that um, partner likes to say to you or relationship, well, if you leave me, I'm going to, um, you're not going to take any, any money or funds or you can't have this. And I'm, I take it, take it all, you know, take whatever you need. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm taking my life and, and that's, that's what I need. I, I, I need my life back, my soul. I, 20 years of, of living in that life. And it was very, it was very lonely, exciting. Yes. I dragged as many people around with me as possible, <laughs> took them shopping, you know, here's some chips, you know, play with uh, casino chips. I mean, it was an extraordinary life. The, the life that, I, that I've led for the last 12 years now has been no comparison of the excitement and the miracles and the continual um, healing that are the excitement of that the power of that that is just remarkable and to get to know what what your higher self can really really do and so i'm going to tell you that i had an ethereal operating room and i'll get into that in the next podcast <laughs> but i want to say one more thing while we while i've introduced myself back out to the public here in in this way that I wanted to to bring my story out and I know it's going to connect to a lot of your stories as well Rachel you could tell has um is back on the the in the media a little bit here when I saw her on TV a, a couple of weeks ago and by the way I don't have television and I was just babysitting for my sister. Um, I heard it. It was just a station that was on in the background, the TV. And it said, and, and in the next half hour, Rachel, you could tell. And of course, you say that name, you could tell, and it's going to reverberate throughout my entire being, you know, as it does with Judy. <laughs> and I said, okay, what, what, is, what is she going to do now? What does she do now? I, I think she is a wonderful person. I think she's a lost soul, like many of us. I think it doesn't matter how much money she has, had, will ever have. I think she has always wanted to have the peace and the kindness for herself and for, and for others. And I want to wish her that. New York Post uh, called me when the story broke, when Rachel's and uh, Tiger Woods story broke in 2009 or 2010. Um, and I knew I was going to get a call from somebody because they were going to dig into this, this, this gal's life and find out which family, <laughs> where she came from. So I was attached to that grandfather for 20 years. And so I got a call from the newspaper in, in New York City and I had nothing but nice things to say about Rachel. And they misquoted me on purpose and told, told um, they said that I, I thought that she was a hottie, hottie or some a hottie. And I thought, that's, that's not even part of my language. It's not even my language. On the way down here, Judy is driving. We're here in Anchorage, Alaska, driving down here. I, the license plate 
on the car in front of us says H O T E, hottie. <laughs> the, the building I am in is called the Morris, Alaska. And Judy lives here in Anchorage, Alaska. And I can tell you a few more things that happened to get me back on the radio and to tell you and to give you my experience. And, and hopefully you can understand the ego has a contract out in all of us. Now you know what I mean by that. Thank you very, very much. Bye, Judy. Bye.